Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative, and lifestyle medicine. We also review case studies and the medical literature. Today's show topic is lymphoma successfully treated with water-only fasting and the SOS plant-based diet. And my guest today is Dr. Alan Goldhammer. He's a chiropractic physician and medical director of True North Health Center. And uh, he's, I've interviewed him before. It's a fabulous interview, lots of knowledge. He runs a very unique center that is, I don't know, the king of water fasting as far as I'm concerned, and then also incorporating plant-based nutrition to help people. So I came across this article, and it's a very fascinating article, and, and we do different treatments for cancer as supportive, but this was uh, quite dramatic. So welcome, Dr. Goldhammer. Thanks for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. And before we jump into this interesting case of lymphoma, can you just give us a little background where you came from and how you got to be where you are at True North Health Center? Well, yeah, True North Health Center has been operating now for 31 years. So it was my original intention uh, coming out of school would be to operate an integrative medical facility that focused on uh, diet and lifestyle intervention in treating uh, conditions that are responsive to that. So we have uh, had a chance to have 15,000 people undergo uh, our protocols here at the Trinity Health Center in the last 30-plus years. And we treat a lot of patients with cardiovascular disease, particularly hypertension, diabetes, and a host of autoimmune diseases. So those are the conditions that are most commonly presented because they respond well to a nutritional medicine approach. These are conditions that, you know, obviously are aggravated or caused by uh, poor choice of what people put in their mouths. Uh, so it's logical that dietary improvements as well as therapeutic fasting would be helpful, and, and they are. When did you get involved with therapeutic fasting as a modality? Was that at the beginning or in the middle of your kind of nutrition journey? Well, I actually went to school with the intention of learning how to do therapeutic fasting. Um, I had been exposed to information as a kid that fasting was a powerful tool. In fact, one of the doctors, uh, Dr. Gerald Benish, who was involved in doing fasting supervision, told me it was the best job in the whole world because the patients did all the work, the body did all the healing, and all the doctor had to do was take credit for the good result. And I thought, well, that's the job for me. <laughs> and have you done, now, water-only fasting? Is it is it 15,000 or is it like 8,500 or something like that? How many... Well, we've had 15,000 subjects undergo water-only fasting. We've had probably twice that many patients doing other, you know, therapy, therapeutic interventions. But water fasting has been the thing that we've really been focused on over the last three decades. And most of the patients that are referred to our clinic are referred specifically for medically supervised water-only fasting. And we do that from periods of time ranging from five to 40 days. Can you describe just what happens simply physiologically during a water fast? Um, yeah, well, fasting essentially is about the body's attempt to conserve nutrient resources and shift from burning our primary uh, fuel of glucose to burning a byproduct of key, uh, fat metabolism, uh, specifically beta-hydroxybutyric acid. Uh, humans are rather unique in that regard, is that we have a biological adaptation that allows us to fast, that allows us to convert our brains, our main burner of glucose, from burning sugar to burning uh, fat. And of course that was important because the humans that wandered away from the tropics obviously wouldn't have survived when spring came late unless they had the ability of living on their fat reserves, which is why you don't see chimpanzees living anywhere other than in the areas that you would expect. 
Um, because of this biological adaptation, human beings, even uh, a, a normal weight human can fast for inordinately large periods of time. A, a you know, 70 kilogram male could fast up to 70 days. This biological adaptation, we've actually used it because we recognize that people that are getting sick from dietary excess can benefit from going through a period of fasting which unwinds the consequences of dietary excess. And so people that are having these conditions like hypertension, for example, if you water fast, blood pressure normalizes. And then if you go on an exclusively plant food diet free of sugars, oils, and salts, you can sustain those results, and we've been able to prove that. Uh, we published a paper in GMPT over 10 years ago with 174 consecutive patients showing an average effect size in stage 3 hypertension of over 60 points. I believe that's still the largest effect size ever shown in treating hypertension in humans. And essentially we're doing nothing. We're doing water-only fasting followed by an exclusively plant-based diet with just the avoidance of sugars, oils, and salts. At your facility, when you, you're, they're physician supervised. What do they supervise? I mean, sometimes in the fast. In other words, what are they checking sure. for in that that period of the fast? Well, the, basically, the process starts with the screening. The first thing that a patient does is we get a we get their medical records. We review that. We have to offer people free phone consultations so that they can determine whether or not they're a good candidate. Uh, once they're admitted, all patients see one of our physicians. They go through history exam and baseline laboratory monitoring, which is really important because during the fast, you're going to get certain symptoms that can be difficult to differentiate. In other words, some of the symptoms look like there's a problem but are actually generated by the body in an attempt to get well, which we call a healing crisis. So to differentiate a healing crisis from a problem requires baseline laboratory data so that you can monitor and determine if physiological processes are adapting as we would expect during the fast or if there is a difficult problem arising. I'd like to point out that in the 15,000 people we've put through this process, everybody that's walked in to go through fasting so far has been able to walk out. So we have a tremendously good safety record. In fact, we have an article we'll be submitting at the end of the year uh, looking at the last 1,156 patients that have undergone fasting as far as a form of safety data. And this is a safe and effective process when proper pre-screening, uh, and then daily monitoring. Every patient staying at the center is seen twice a day by a staff doctor, morning and afternoon, where we collect vitals. We're evaluating weekly their blood uh, and urine testing results. And we have uh, 24-hour availability so that if the problem does arise, we can differentiate a good thing from a bad thing. As I mentioned, that's not always uh, apparently obvious because many acute healing crises that are generated during fasting can be rather exciting or startling. But what you can do is you can look at the patterns of change, and that oftentimes gives us a good clinical insight into what might be going on. There's a lot of symptoms that show up in fasting. People get rashes and nausea and vomiting and uh, various types of distress. Uh, but the, the thing about fasting crises is they tend to be intense, relatively short-lived. They pass, and then something else miserable comes along. So although fasting can be a rather intense and miserable experience, if patients have really good results, which our patients typically do, they forgive you for that and things work out pretty well. <laughs> uh, how, how long does it take before the, fa the miserable part of the fasting passes before you start to feel good? Well, typically, you know, there are certain things that happen. For example, early in fasting, there's often uh, what we call faster's mouth, where your mouth will coat up and taste like something uh, crawls in there and dies. And then um, what will happen is people often have increased body odor or fatigue. They'll have restlessness and irritability. You can imagine, you know, you have 50 or 60 patients 
when you take away their coffee and their alcohol and their cigarettes and their sugar and their highly processed foods, sometimes they do get a little bit irritable at first. Uh, dizziness or orthostatic hypotension is common in fasting. You have to train patients to move around slowly so they, they don't get an orthostatic event. Aches and pains, nausea, vomiting is the bile dumps. You get a lot of uh, yellow-green uh, pigmented bile that can cause uh, gastric irritation or sometimes diarrhea. Rashes and discharges as the body's secondary eliminative systems kick in. Uh, tremendous heightened senses. And, of course, as I mentioned, the healing crisis where a chronic problem becomes acute in the process of resolution. These are all very common uh, symptoms during fasting. And so part of the medical supervision is helping reassure people that the symptoms that they're experiencing are actually positive attempts by the body to get well, not that they're developing electrolyte imbalances or, or difficulties that need to be intervened with. You know, that's, that's part of it is education and reassurance as patients go through this process. So do most people pass those, those symptoms in three or four days or two or three days, or how long does that take? Well, yeah, you know, the, the, the foul taste goes away sometimes, you know, a few days to a week or two, depending on how toxic the patient is. The low back pain that's common early in fasting usually will pass uh, in the first week. Skin rashes sometimes don't start showing up till a little bit later. Uh, the dizziness can be persistent depending on the patient. Uh, aches and pains, like first the back will ache, then that'll go away, and then the knees might ache, that might go away. You know, it goes from one thing to another. Um, the healing crises themselves, again, usually are intense and short-lived. There could be one, and then there could be another later. Very individual, very difficult to predict, except in hindsight. But nonetheless, you know, we, there are certain patterns that we look for. And, and as long as those patterns seem to be presenting and and patients holding up physically and psychologically will proceed through the process. But you never know when you start the fast exactly what the optimum amount of fasting is going to be. You don't know is it ideal going to be 12 days or 30 days until you see how the body's presenting fasting and you use that diagnostically as well as therapeutically. Okay, let's get into a little bit of the cancer concept. Uh, it's, a, it's a prevalent, uh, well, it's not prevalent, but in other nutrition circles, the ketogenic diet actually has been encouraged to be used in cancer, and you talked about fasting creating a ketotic state, but there are obviously different dietary approaches. Could you comment on that, the role of ketosis in cancer treatment? Well, I think, you know, this is an area of active research right now. Um, there was an excellent article summarizing a lot of the particularly animal studies that were done by Walter Longo uh, in Journal of Metabolism in 2014, and he talks a lot about the various uh, mechanisms that they've identified. Uh, for example, hemopoietic stem cells uh, and their ability to rever uh, reverse their uh, dysfunctional changes in fasting. Um, he's done research on rats where they show rats that are vulnerable to chemotherapy and radiation at a certain dosage. If you fast the rats, you can use the same dosage and the rats will survive. And it's because changes in fasting are associated with protective uh, components for healthy cells and it also makes cancer cells much more vulnerable. Cancer cells don't regulate well you know, in the stress of a fasting state because of their higher metabolic rate and other unique variables. And so this concept of DS, uh, DSR and DSS, differential stress resistance and differential strength sensitization, is being used to great advantage by many cancer researchers because they can, again, help protect healthy cells and make cancer cells more vulnerable to conventional therapies. Um, it's also some evidence that the genomics associated with cancer tend to turn off just in the fasting state alone. So, but again, this is all pretty preliminary early uh, phase research, but the idea that the body can actually heal itself is certainly intriguing. 
Well, I guess what I was trying to get the comparison was that there's some people in, in integrated medical circles that put people on ketogenic diets, but they're not fasting. They're, you know, the high fat diet, the high meat diet type of thing versus you are doing, you're creating ketosis through just plain water fasting. Right. I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on the high fat ketogenic diets and what benefits they may have. So I don't think I'm the right person to comment on that. I, my expertise is really in not feeding people. It's putting people on water only fast. There's certainly a lot of intermittent fasting stuff uh, that's, that's done. There's a lot of research on that. And you, can, you can review that. But again, my area has really been prolonged water-only fasting. There are certain patients that really benefit from a water-only fasting state. For example, some patients you can't get them to eat a healthy diet because they're addicted to the pleasure trap. They artificially stimulate the dopamine cascade in their brain, and so they're eating sugar, oil, and salt. And when you try to stop it like any addict, they resist it. Fasting is a very rapid way of rebooting that system. It's like rebooting the hard drive in a computer. It clears a lot of corruption. And then after fasting, good food tastes good. So one reason to use fasting is to get a patient that won't eat a healthy diet to enjoy eating a healthy diet. Some people are eating a healthy diet, but despite that, their blood pressure still is persistently high, their blood sugars are still too high, their autoimmune symptoms are still too active, and fasting is a rapid way of giving the body a chance to recalibrate those mechanisms and get them to the point where now a healthy diet is sufficient to manage their condition. Um, some people have done that, but they get, they get off track, and so just like an alcoholic that, that has a, a, a relapse, you have to kind of you know, reboot them. And so fasting will be useful there. For people that can eat a healthy diet and get well, they don't necessarily need to uh, come and do long-term medically supervised fasting. But for people that are struggling, this can be a hugely beneficial intervention. So summarize for me the basic mechanisms of why fasting would be beneficial in the cancer patient. Well, I don't know that the mechanisms in cancer patients are fundamentally different than the mechanisms in all patients. It's just that the cancer patients have a certain urgency to their condition. So let's talk about you know basic mechanisms. Obviously, weight loss is a huge benefit to virtually everybody. Average weight loss is a pound a day. If you don't eat, obviously, you're going to lose weight. Naturesis is a highly consistent response in fasting. There's a selective elimination of sodium. So you get a big drop in blood volume, which drops blood pressure. It, it drops the swelling associated with a lot of the joint pain, the congestive heart failure, the non-healing wounds are all enhanced because of this very powerful natriuretic effect, much more so than, say, your hydrochlorothiazide or diuretics that you might be given. The general justification for fasting was detoxification. We know now that there are hundreds of chemicals that accumulate at various levels in all people and the mobilization and elimination of those toxic chemicals happens very rapidly in fasting. In fact, there are some people criticizing the efficiency of water-only fasting as a detoxification tool, saying that it would be too rapid, that it would overwhelm the adaptive mechanisms of the body in terms of liver and kidney function and therefore be dangerous. That's not been our experience, as a matter of fact. The body seems very well uh, equipped to regulate and modify the mobilization and elimination of these toxic products, whether we're talking PCB and dioxin or mercury or normal intermediary products in metabolism. There's enzymatic uh, induction that occurs in fasting that are associated with detoxification. You know that whether it's lipolysis for fat mobilization or uh, chemical detoxification requires enzymatically driven systems. Those systems are induced in fasting and it is our belief that they persist after fasting. So every time a patient fasts, they get more and more effective and efficient at mobilizing not only nutrient stores but also toxicity stores. Uh, insulin resistance is reversed in fasting. So unlike conventional ma ma uh, medical management of 
diabetes where you're just basically trying to force um, glucose through the membranes, the actual resistance to glucose is reduced in fasting, which is why a significant percentage of our type 2 diabetics are able to achieve normal blood sugar without medication. Um, gut leakage is thought to be a dominant component, uh, contributing not just to, to autoimmune diseases, but all conditions. And so this idea that protein molecules are absorbed through a leaky gut, triggering in genetically vulnerable people an immunological response, is reversed in fasting. Gut leakage heals. And you can measure that with, look at acute phase reactive proteins, whether it's CRP or pepsinogen or fibrinogen. These things predictively reduce uh, during water-only fasting. We believe that water fasting also normalizes sympathetic tone, the autonomic uh, parasympathetic sympathetic balance that so many of our natural therapies address, whether it's chiropractic or massage or biofeedback or whatever. Probably the most powerful way of normalizing the autonomic nervous system, in my experience, is water-only fasting. It's more than coincidental that every major religion has a tradition about fasting, whether it's the Jews and the Jains and the Hindus, the Buddhists, the, the Catholics. Everybody has some type of tradition that relates to fasting because it changes the way patients feel about themselves and the world around them. And, and the immune system itself is enhanced uh, during fasting. If you look at all the objective measures of, of the immune system, helper killer T-cell activity, um, neutrophil phagocytosis, these things are all seem to be enhanced during fasting, not suppressed. And as a consequence, a lot of things that don't seem to heal up very well in the fed state seem to be um, benefited in fasting. And perhaps probably the most obvious is this idea of taste neuroadaptation. People neuroadapt to various things in the environment, not the least of which is taste. You have patients that are addicted to salt and fat at high concentrations. When they go on a water-only fast, it rapidly normalizes, and as a consequence, they can actually taste the sodium and chard, and they can taste the sweetness in fruit. They don't have to adulterate their food with highly processed chemicals, and you can get them to eat good food, and then healthy diet um, is allowed to uh, prevail. So to summarize, we're talking about decreasing glucose and IGF-1, similar to exercise I might mention, decreasing blood pressure and heart rate, decreasing insulin, decreasing inflammation and oxidation, reducing the total microbial load, increasing leptin, which as we know is also the satiety hormone, increasing insulin sensitivity, increasing stress resistance and adaptation, increasing autophagy, and normalizing gut microbiota uh, as well as uh, stimulating B-cell immunity. So essentially, fasting reverses all abnormalities of metabolic syndrome. And that's what most of us are dealing with in our practices, some version of metabolic syndrome. And fasting is the fastest way to normalize it. <laughs> that was well said. That uh, that was good. That was good. I'd like to get you and Joe Furman in a room and, and talk about something. <laughs> you both talked about Well, it's interesting. Joe was our first medical intern here. When <laughs> he was a medical student, he was the first doctor that came through and, and did our internship program. We now have about 30 doctors a year that come in and train. They do one-month, three-month, or one-year uh, residencies. And, you know, it's really interesting. One of the comments that the interns most commonly say is that it's the first time they've ever actually seen people get well. No, I get it. Because get if it. you have high blood pressure, if you have, di if you have hypertension, uh, you have diabetes, you're told, okay, the treatment is drugs, and you're going to be on drugs for the rest of your life because the promise in medicine is that you'll never get well, that you'll be sick forever. And what we're trying to suggest is there's another way. For people willing to do dangerous and radical things like eat good and exercise and go to bed on time, and perhaps consider fasting, there's a way to actually get well and stay well without having to have a lifelong dependence on health-compromising drugs. Well said. So let's go to the 
the next topic, and by the way, I'm talking to Dr. Alan Goldhammer, chiropractic physician and medical director of True North Health Center. And I want to, we're going to talk about lymphoma, this case of lymphoma here, but before we get there, just one thing. What is the SOS diet, the SOS plant-based yeah, diet? Yeah, well, what we're advocating is an exclusively plant food diet, that is fruits and vegetables, grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, okay, that also avoids SOS. SOS is the international symbol of danger, and it stands for sugars, oils, and salt. So sugars, including refined carbohydrates, are excluded from this diet. So we're not using any sugars or sweeteners of any kind. We don't use any fractionated oil, and we don't use any added salt. What's, what you're left with is a whole natural foods diet. We describe this in our book, The Pleasure Trap, Mastering the Hidden Force that Undermines Health and Happiness. And we believe that that's the diet, that plant-based diet, is the diet that's consistent with sustaining results uh, after fasting. And we've been able to demonstrate that in the patients that we've been tracking. Okay, well, let's jump into this case of uh, lymphoma. The title was Water-Only Fasting and an Exclusively Plant-Based Diet in the Management of Stage 3A Low-Grade Follicular Lymphoma. And this was in the British Medical Journal Case Reports in 2015. And you and your colleagues there talk about a 42-year-old woman um, who had lymphoma. So you want to share us uh, how she came to your clinic and how she decided that she wanted to do just fasting and diet and what you did for her? Yeah. So this woman had, had uh, been diagnosed as follicular lymphoma and had been followed by oncologists at Stanford for a couple of years, and it had continued to progress to where she had lemon-sized, externally palpable lesions in upper and lower part of her body. Uh, and they had become progressively concerned. She had been resistant to undergo conventional uh, treatment because, as you know, in lymphoma, treatment kind of sucks. It doesn't, it doesn't have the desirable outcomes in many cases. But they had gotten, she'd gotten to where she was feeling so bad clinically that they were uh, considering uh, implementing or trying to get her to implement uh, conventional treatment. Her husband had had difficulties with autoimmune disease that had resolved successfully uh, while undergoing fasting and, and a plant-based diet. And so she was inclined to contact us since he had done so well. And uh, we suggested that perhaps it would warrant a, a period of uh, a trial of fasting to see if we could get uh, improvement before she resorted to conventional care. Her conventional physicians were much opposed to this. They didn't believe that diet had any relationship to her condition. And of course, fasting was, you know, not, not relevant. Um, but despite her lack of uh, support from her oncologist and her physician, uh, she decided to come in and we underwent 21 days of water-only fasting uh, with a 10-day refeeding period. And during that time, she completely resolved any evidence of her lesions. Uh, we couldn't feel anything. We sent her back to her oncologist, who, and she persuaded him to do follow-up spiral CTs during that time uh, where you obviously had a tremendous clinical improvement. Uh, she went uh, from uh, 81.6 kilograms before her fast to 78 kilograms at the start of her fast and 68 kilograms at the end of her fast. At her six-month follow-up, she was down at 63 kilograms at nine months at 59, and she's continued to be compliant through, we just had her one-year follow-up. Uh, during that time, her clinical picture improved uh, quite dramatically and basically resolved uh, the difficulties that she was having. When she went back for her follow-up, the oncologist was a bit surprised. He couldn't find any evidence of her problem, was tr impressed with the CT results, and he asked her what she did. She told her that, you know, she had gone to the quacks and done the fasting. He expressed uh, some interest in uh, following through on that. So meanwhile, we wrote um, this case report up 
submitted it to the British Medical Journal, since they're uh, a pretty high-impact journal, and uh, they agreed uh, to publish the results, and last week they did. It's uh, impressive because we now have uh, a patient that has gone through not only a complete resolution of her symptomatic problems during fasting, but she's been able to sustain uh, that clinical outcome for at least the first year. And for me, most impressively, she's able to sustain the very health-promoting diet that we advocate. Some people argue that, yeah, the diet's great if you could do it, but it's too difficult. People won't do it. Well, I disagree. People that are appropriately motivated will do it. And uh, so it's important to at least give them the opportunity to get well before you give up and resort to interventive medical treatments that have limited effectiveness. So I'm, I'm looking at the weight loss here because that would always scare people, you know, during cancer. And so she lost close to 40, 50 pounds, right? Unless she went... Well, she went from 81.6 kilograms to 59.9 kilograms. But I want to point out that she's now at her optimum weight. She looks and feels fabulous. Right. Everything scares people during cancer treatment, maybe rightfully so. But the reality is if you're overweight, it's good to get your optimum weight. It's, being fat is not a good thing under any, any stretch of the imagination. So did she have much of a, did she have any classic healing crises during this transition of the water fast? Yeah, well, you know, like most uh, patients, she went through uh, various symptoms, early phase fasting. Um, uh, you know, they have, you know, various symptoms, oftentimes things like nausea, dizziness, and fatigue. Hers wasn't too bad. We know from experience that if patients will prepare properly before their fast, we give them recommendations of what they need to do diet-wise before they come in and fast. Those that comply tend to be way less uh, exciting. They have much less symptoms. And in her case, if you look at her chart, you'll notice she went from 81 kilograms to 78 kilograms before we actually started fasting. So that meant she had actually been following our recommendations, and you can tell average weight loss of two pounds a week, that we got several weeks of good compliance prior to fast. And, and as a consequence, her clinical presentation during fasting really wasn't too bad. Plus, she felt so bad from her lymphoma that the effect of fasting compared to the relief she got uh, was really offset. So I think she actually described it as a reasonably tolerable process. Um, do you have many cancer patients that come there? Well, like all anybody that treats a large number of people, cancer is very common. You're going to see a lot of people that have or had cancer. We don't recommend or promote fasting as some magic treatment for cancer. Fasting is just a tool to help the body try to do what it does best, which is heal itself regardless of the condition. I don't think that fasting necessarily is a specific uh, to cancer per se, but the body's ability to manage itself is much better than sometimes people believe. A lot of people are being treated for their diets, not even their conditions. So this patient, I'm quite convinced, if she went back to a conventional greasy, slimy, fatty, dead, decaying flesh diet with highly processed foods, wouldn't manifest evidence of her lymphoma again. I don't believe that fasting is a cure for lymphoma or anything else. I don't believe there's a cure for obesity. If you go back to eating the crappy diet, you get fat again. There's no cure for blood pressure. If you go back to the salty processed foods, your blood pressure goes back up. What there is is a management strategy. And in her case, we're managing her condition quite successfully by controlling what she puts in her mouth. We are talking to Dr. Alan Goldhammer from the uh, True North Health Center, and it's a remarkable case study. So do people come and say, I have cancer, and, and will you supervise me quite often? Or is that a, a rarity in your, well, your clinic? Uh, uh, no, a percentage of the patients that we treat, you know, cancer is one of their many symptoms. But again, we're not we're not a cancer treatment center. We're a patient treatment center. So we certainly, we don't exclude people because they have, you know, if they have lymphoma, that doesn't mean you can't try to get them on a healthy program and get them well. 
Um, there are some conditions, for example, like lymphoma, that we know from experience are likely to be more responsive than maybe other forms of cancer. And so we tend to specialize in treating people that we expect to have good results. So we try to take the people we expect to do well. Um, what we're doing is not considered standard uh, care, standard of care. Um, one of the reasons we're actively publishing papers now is to share the experiences that we have so that people can investigate these conditions and their response to things like fasting and diet more thoroughly. This particular case was really nice because it was well documented through conventional oncological monitoring means. Uh, it was objectively assessed. It, she responded very quickly, very dramatically, and she was a highly compliant patient, so we knew that we'd be able to sustain diet compliance. And she was willing to persist in getting her oncologist to follow up with objective data so that we could actually publish the case report. So th that's not always easy to do. Many times people don't have good initial workups or they've had good workups but they can't get follow-up or, they, you know, or they're not able to be as compliant so that you don't get the dramatic short-term results. This particular case was, was particularly good because we had all the components that came together. And I think that's why the British Medical Journal was able to publish what is very, you know, would be considered a very controversial case. Would, if someone came to your facility and said, I, want, I would love to um, go on a good diet, and they were already on chemo and getting radiation, and, but they, they wanted to, would you take that kind of patient? Well, again, we, we evaluate every patient on an individual basis, and the things we're looking for is, do they have a condition that in our experience is likely to respond? Are they fully informed about the risks and benefits of alternative care versus the conventional care? And um, are the, do they have the temperament that's going to allow them to comply with what is really a difficult program? Because you have to be willing to eat well. You have to be willing to get appropriate exercise. You have to prioritize sleep and go through the process of fasting. Those are not something that everybody's going to be interested in doing it wouldn't necessarily be the diagnosis per se that would be the determining factor. It's really more the patient and their, you know, their willingness to actually get well and their motivation. Well, it's fabulous. It's, um, it's a great conversation. And if you have anything else to say, we'll, we'll sign off. I'll let yeah, you go. well, there's, there, there's one other thing that might be of interest to your viewers. We're currently um, uh, developing a relationship with the Buck Institute, and they've got markers now that look at both cancer prediction, Alzheimer's prediction, aging, you know, general aging markers as well as the gut microbiome. And we're going to be doing a study with them that looks at before and after fasting, the changes in all of these biomarkers. And that's really going to be the holy grail. If you can show that these predictive markers convert in fasting, we'll have objective means of evaluating the effectiveness of fasting. So if you people want to go to our website and watch, uh, we'll be publishing all of the stuff that we've got coming out there. And I think it's going to be really exciting and relatively quickly. That's fabulous. Uh, do you, can you name some of the markers? Really? Um, uh, I can't, but we can. I'll defer okay. you to Tasha Myers, our PhD, who knows the technical names, uh, the okay. multi-syllable technical names of the markers. Okay, and how can people get a hold of the True North Health Center and find out more about it? They can go to our website at www.fasting.org, or they can call me, 707-586-5555. Dr. Goldhammer, as usual, that was an information-dense awesome. Um, thank you very much for spending the time. Sorry I was a little late, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Anytime. And I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to this edition to the Staying Healthy Today show. And remember, you can go to stayinghealthytoday.com and look at other podcasts there, or these are uploaded into iTunes. And sign up for my health letter, and I'll talk to you soon, and you have a great day. Mm -hmm.